Booty, the Fight CRC podcast. Colorectal cancer patients are often faced with circumstances related to their disease that aren't openly discussed. In Tabuti, the Fight CRC podcast, we delve into those topics that are sometimes considered controversial, trending, or just plain interesting. Listen in as we talk to experts, patients, and caregivers who provide accurate, real, and practical information for cancer survivors. It's time for us to bring these issues to light. Listen in from anywhere, from your car to the chemo chair. To suggest a podcast topic, email answers at fightcrc.org. Hi, this is Sharon with Fight Colorectal Cancer. On our Tabuti podcast today, we're going to explore the topic of colorectal cancer within the LGBTQ community, a topic rarely discussed even among healthcare professionals. I'm excited to introduce Diogo and Paige, patient navigators at Denver Health. Hello to you both. Hello. I thought it would be best to have you um, introduce yourselves briefly and the work that you do as patient navigators. I go first. So my name is Diogo, I'm a patient navigator with the colorectal cancer screening program at Denver, and I help people get through the colonoscopy. My name is Paige. I'm a transgender woman. I am the LGBTQ patient navigator here at Denver Health, and my basic job is to get people in our community who haven't seen a primary care provider in many years into primary care and help them establish a primary care medical home with one of our providers who will then see that they have all the recommended cancer screenings, including colorectal cancer. Great. Thank you so much. So let's start um, with an explanation, if you wouldn't mind, the terminology, LGBTQ, why this is important to know from a colorectal cancer provider navigator perspective. LGBTQ is, is a strange phrase in the sense that it means what the person who's identifying that way means. Uh, just because uh, a woman has sex with a woman or a man has sex with a man on one occasion or sexual contact, let's say, doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be LGBTQ or that they're going to identify as part of that community. But the L generally stands for lesbians, that's women who have sex with women, uh, G for gay men, who the men who have sex with men, B is bisexuals, people who have sex with both of those men and women, and then transgender, which is an umbrella term, which goes all the way from a heterosexual cross-dresser or transvestite all the way over to people who identify as, trans, as transsexuals. So it's a broad spectrum, includes heterosexuals and people who have either through hormones and surgery or a combination of that change their body to match their gender identity and are living full-time in that gender identity. The Q is new. The Q stands generally stands for the word queer and queer can be used as used as term favored by younger people. It's very offensive to older people in the LGBT community but queer can be used both as a gender identity and a sexual orientation. Thank you. I, I know those are terms that we hear often, and what we might not hear as much is how this group faces certain health disparities. Would you be able to speak to that as it relates to cancer care and treatment? I think the primary barrier to the communities getting 
appropriate cancer screenings and cancer care is that historically they have faced discrimination when seeking medical treatment. Here in the state of Colorado in 2011, 40 percent of transgender people said they had actually been refused medical treatment by a provider and even if they're not refused treatment they often are made to feel extremely uncomfortable. The same thing applies to LGB that people are uncomfortable identify themselves in that community and therefore they don't get the appropriate screenings whether it be a STD screenings or an anal pap smear or whatever uh, they're not getting those things and, and part of the problem is that the providers don't ask. If the Colorado Medical Society and the Denver Medical Society partnered with One Colorado, an LGBT advocacy group here in Denver in 2014 and did a survey of providers in the state of Colorado and 40% of those providers said they were not comfortable asking people about their sexuality. So if, if people don't ask, people don't tell whether they're not getting the appropriate screenings and they generally don't feel comfortable going to a doctor. So the doctor doesn't say you've reached 50 and it's time for your colonoscopy or you know you have a history of family medical uh, colorectal cancers and now you, you should be screened at this point. Right. So these people come in with advanced disease and have poor outcomes as a result of that. Yeah. I just want to say from a, uh, the colorectal cancer and the GI perspective, knowing uh, sexual history or orientation can help identify the symptoms. If it's a GI symptoms or could be you need an endopap smear. So that that is important to identify someone. What, what screening they need before 50 years old? You both have mentioned about providers not asking, therefore patients not disclosing. How, how would a provider be more sensitive and culturally competent when dealing with this community? I think with any community it's important that the provider asks questions that are open-ended. For example, instead of saying, which, tell me about your wife to a man um, saying, um, are you married? Just open-ended questions that don't say, I'm assuming you're heterosexual or I'm assuming you're gay, but tell me about your partner or your family. Something that's very open-ended that doesn't lay a judgment out as part of the question. I think that people will be much more likely to be forthcoming at that point. In the research that I've done, I've seen a, a lack of data for LGBT community for colorectal cancer screening. Can you speak to this and, and why that might be and what you see as a patient navigator while working within the community? <clears throat> I would say that, you know, you're right, it has no um, for right now, because of the lack of data, have no different recommendation, right? Um, if you identify as LGBTQ, you know. But, um, so we don't know. We actually can't say it for sure. It's the same um, because we don't have the data. So we just go by 50 years old, no family history. Historically, we have seen that they don't know the family history because they don't ask or the family refuse to have any contact with the person, you know. So that information doctors might not know. I might add that there's, there's really, until just within the last month or two, been a requirement that federally certified medical centers even ask and record the sexuality 
or their gender, but that's changed. I think HHS did something in the last few months. Here at Denver Health, we do ask all of that information as part of our social history. To piggyback on that question um, and your remarks, what about barriers? So we see barriers with colorectal can cancer screening for everybody, really. Um, yeah. A lot of different reasons. What are some specific barriers that you see while working within this community for following screening guidelines? In my experience, um, working with the transgender community, for example, has a lot of fear because it's an invasive procedure, the colonoscopy, for example, and they have a, have a lot of fears about you know your private parts and explain that and how to explain if that happened. It's very hard to have a colonoscopy without your genitalia being exposed. Mm -hmm. And actually, the percentage of transgender women um, who have bottom surgery, or what's commonly referred to as bottom surgery, I think is only about 20% of the transgender population. So 80% of the patients, roughly 80%, are going to be, have this fear that while they may have a female on their driver's license, a female on their medical record, that when they actually are undergoing the colonoscopy, they're suddenly going to be uh, unmasked mm -hmm. and, and, and the subject of abuse and, and uh, jokes. And, and that, that builds distrust. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm sure is an impediment to getting these patients the, the care they need. What kind of advice would you give to a patient in anticipation of a colonoscopy? I would just... Um, I would just tell them they're going to be treated with dignity and respect here at Denver Health and that we have Diogo and, and myself. I have a patient now that's scheduled this month and I emailed Diogo in advance um, so uh, Diogo can uh, make sure that the patient, um, well this actually was a gay man, but it was, is treated appropriately. I think actually it's it's not so much what we that what I tell the patient or Diogo tells the patient is what the provider tells the patient mm -hmm. at that last meeting before. And I tell the doctors here at Denver Health, whether they're in the ER or the perioperative unit or wherever, that I recommend they have a little short script that they used with any patient that has gender issues, whether they identify as queer or transgender. Uh, it's very simple. You just say, one, we're going to give you the best medical care possible. Two, we want to treat you with dignity, respect, and I want to make sure I understand what preferred pronouns and names. Mm -hmm. And then explain that while you're doing your job, uh, you're going to be talking with the other people in the room, your staff, and even though the patient is under some sedation, um, that while you're talking to your staff and concentrating on giving them the best medical care possible, you may make a mistake. And if you make that mistake, you want them to know that you mean no disrespect and that you're very sorry if that happens. And I think you'll find that if the provider says that, the patient's anxiety will be largely resolved. And do you ever come across patients who are discriminated against by the medical team as a result of their gender identity? Um, and as a navigator, uh, my part is to know the clinic I work with and know the people I work with. So I can transmit to my patient that he has a comfortable place. I'm telling you that we treat people here with respect. So it's, it's, a, it's about the team being prepared first.
it's the team have to be prepared before the arrival. And, you know, that's what I do for my patient, for example. Um, if there's anything that I feel like the doctor and the nurses that's going to do the intake should know, I go have a conversation with them first to make sure that this is my patient and um, just a little extra information mm -hmm. just to help the patient. Yeah, I would. I know that I won't say we've had problems, but when problems ha have arised, they have often been in areas where you wouldn't expect, um, especially in, in terms of um, the perioperative unit. That's the people who greet the patient when they come and prep them for the surgery mm -hmm. and the people who deal with them as they're coming out of recovery. Those are the places where the patient is going to be most conscious and, and, and um, it's very important that we train not just the surgeon who's going to talk to them or the person performing the procedure, but that the entire unit be trained mm -hmm. as to how to deal with these people and all of this information is available on the patient's medical record, including preferred name. And if they're transgender, we have a transgender flag that reiterates the preferred pronouns and, and training them to look first mm -hmm. at the records. So it's, it's, it's a big job. We have a, a lot of people here. Sometimes, I mean, I've had a complaint recently about the food service when they bring in their meal using the wrong pronouns. And we're looking at that. But... The entire system has to be culturally competent. Yes, culturally competent. Yes. I think for a, a medical professional, it may be hard for them to understand the impact uh, that misgendering would have on a transgender or a queer patient. You know, it's just like, I mean, people get misgendered all the time when people aren't looking at you. I was misgendered at a hospital, and I was surprised how debilitating it was in terms of my willingness ever to go back there. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, it's it's not just a little thing because it'll keep the person from coming in when they need to come in. And so they come into the adult urgent care unit or they come into the emergency unit with advanced conditions and that could have readily been dealt with at an earlier stage if they'd had the regular screenings. So um, when we misgender people or disrespect them, um, it prevents them, it actually prevents them from getting the appropriate cancer screenings, including colorectal cancer, which is probably the toughest one to talk people into. Yes. I mean, if they don't trust you, they're not going to be very disposed toward undergoing perhaps the most invasive, well, one of the most, most invasive, invasive screenings, screenings that we offer. And yet, we all know how critical that is because again, once it progresses out of the colon, uh, it's a whole new ballgame. Anyway, that's really what I wanted to say. It's, it's, it's hard, I think, for other people to understand how, how, how harmful it is to a transgender or genderqueer patient to be consistently misgendered, especially once they speak up and identify themselves as a transgender patient. It's like saying, I don't really see you. Mm -hmm. You're not yeah. really here. You know, it, just a fundamental human nature. If you want to be respected, if you want the patient to respect your medical opinions, then you have to respect the patient. You know, I, if somebody disrespects me, they're the last person I'm going to listen to. So it's a very simple thing. That little script, 
I think works well, both at putting the patient at ease and also putting the doctor at ease because he's apologized in advance if he makes a mistake. Is there anything else that you would like the community to know about, and whether it's the medical community, the LGBTQ community, um, as it relates to colorectal cancer, screening, treatment, survivorship, anything that stands out to you that, that would be helpful? It does have a, 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 some people think it has a, a, a strong link between anal cancer and colorectal cancer, and a study has shown they are not related. What we see is that symptoms can, can match and sometimes when, the colon when you need a colonoscopy or an enopap smear. So we do have that confusion sometimes with patients. So just to be aware of that. And what Paige and I have been talking about so much after before we do this podcast about how we can uh, help our patients to be more open to their providers mm -hmm. and um, really speak freely with no fear because that, I want Paige to talk about that a little bit to really be open with your providers. We are going to be putting into all our primary care clinics a, um, posters and pamphlets that say do ask, do tell, um, to encourage patients and providers both to inquire about sexuality. One of the things when I give my talks here at Denver Health, I always emphasize don't ask them whether they're heterosexual or homosexual because especially with transgender people, I have transgender friends who identify as straight because they're attracted to men and transgender friends who identify as straight because they're still attracted to women. It's best, I believe, to ask who their sexual partners have been, let's say in the last year. Does your, for example, have you had sex in the last year with a man, a woman, or both? And, and not worry about the label mm -hmm. so much. And I think, first of all, the most important thing to do is to say we ask this question of all our patients so that an effeminate straight man who comes in is not going to be insulted or upset, that you're asking him this question. He's not going to think you're implying that he's a gay man. You just say, matter-of-factly, we ask these questions of all our patients. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that, that perhaps will make the doctor more comfortable in asking the question has to be a two-way street. It's not a, just an issue of saying, well, the providers have to become familiar with the LGBT community and all our sexual practices. That just makes no sense at all. It's, but it's a two-way street. Um, the doctors have to ask, and the patients have to tell, and, and if need be, they need to educate the provider as to what perhaps being a gay man means in terms of sexual practices. I want to say to the community that um, if you are part of a healthcare system, they have navigators, use them, you know. Um, we, um, I can speak for myself and from my team, the people that I work closely with, we are your support here no matter what, you know. I don't only help the patient with colonoscopy. If my patient needs help with enrollment for insurance or my patient diagnosed with cancer, that's when we they need our support. And um, as a navigator, we are trained to be there for you. So just to keep you know keep in mind that um, even though the outside community might you don't feel support by the outside community, we do have us as health professionals that um, we're gonna support you all the way through. We do have the uh, I think I'm gonna say this right, the National LGBT Cancer Network org. It's a website 
in the United States or, and North America, I believe, that offers support groups and it, it's a central clearinghouse, if you will, for LGBT support groups for people who have cancer because a LGBT patient with some may have terminal cancer needs to be able freely to talk about how this is impacting his husband or her wife without in, a, in an atmosphere where they know that people aren't going to be judgmental about that. Mm -hmm. And so I found that this is a very good resource for anyone in North America to find the nearest LGBT cancer support group. Support is very important. It's a community disease. So the colonoscopy is a is a, to prevent cancer. So colonoscopy is the one of the few screen that's preventable. So get your colonoscopy. Thank you, Paige, so much um, for, for sharing all your wonderful insight. And thank you, Diogo, as well. Um, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to share with the Fight Colorectal Cancer community about what you do and how to help the LGBTQ um, community with their screening and you know the medical providers as well to be more informed. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Please remember that this information is for educational purposes only and all medical questions should be directed to your healthcare team. For more resources, visit us on the web at fightcolorectalcancer.org.